0: And I'm gonna begin with a word of prayer and we're gonna study the Gospel of Mark. Jesus, we want to thank you this morning, this afternoon, whatever time it is or anyone's watching this evening, that we can open the Bible, we can study, we can learn, we can grow. Help us to see how wonderful, how beautiful you are. You are the central character here in this story, in the Gospel of Mark. And we want to learn about you. We want to see beautiful things, wonderful things, about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, as I said before, this is the live stream from the Gospel of Mark, and we're looking at chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, and I want to begin by summarizing the rest of the chapter, Mark chapter 2 and then we're going to study verses 13 to 17, very short text today. But in these next stories in the Gospel of Mark, we see three expressions, and I'm assuming here that these are common expressions that Jesus taught when he went places. And Mark is showing us uh, these expressions. The first one we're gonna see today, and we'll have a look at this in our study, is that the sick need the doctor. The other expression we see in Mark 2 is that this idea of new wine in new wineskins. The third is that man was not made for Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for man. So the Saturday worship, the problems and troubles that caused in the early church, and even for some today, they're quite fussy about worshiping on Saturday. Some fight over Sunday. I believe every day is a day of worship, and there is no commandment in the New Testament that we worship on either. So we'll study that. New wine, new wineskins, we'll study that. But today we're looking at this idea of the sick need the doctor. A common expression that Jesus seemed to teach where he went. And today it's not just explained in uh, principles, but as Mark does, he explains it through a story. And he shows us a story where this came to life. So I'm going to begin reading from Mark chapter 2, verse 13. It says, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began To teach them. So, for your sake, for a reminder, Jesus is by this lake, the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Gennesaret. Same thing. He's in the town of Capernaum, and I have here a very small shot of Capernaum. This is off of thanks to uh, Google Street View. This is the town of Capernaum at the Sea of Galilee. Just to give you a little visual of where Jesus would have been walking along the streets here in these towns as he made his way around the area of Galilee and teaching. It says, as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphas, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. So in this setting for the story, we, we notice a few simple things. A man named Levi, He is uh, Matthew, the same person that uh, is also called Matthew. His name means the gift of Yahweh. The story is also found in Matthew chapter 9 and Luke chapter 5. And Levi, given his name, you can assume that he is from uh, the tribe of Levi, a priestly tribe. This uh, Matthew is the one that wrote the Gospel of Matthew. And it's assumed that Matthew uh traveled a few places after he came to know Jesus and when he began to teach. Uh, we don't really know much about his life, but it is pieced together from church tradition that he probably spent some time in Syria and in Iran and in Ethiopia and in Macedonia in these regions so we don't really know, but just as a bit of background on who this person is, Levi, Matthew, of course, when we meet him here, he's in a tax collector's booth. He's he's not a gospel writer. He's not an apostle. He will become one, but he's collecting customs and tax. And these are Roman taxes, most, mostly collected on trade and income. So uh, if you're not familiar with this, probably... Uh, these people are some of the most despised and hated people among the Jews. Uh, how do the Jews feel about these tax collectors? Two words come to my mind, corrupt and traitor. Corrupt because there wasn't necessarily a strong tax code written that these people abided by. The tax collectors collected what the Roman government required. Anything additional stayed in their pockets. And so they could extort with the power of the Roman government pretty much what they wanted out of people. In addition to that, Levi is a Jew. He's living in Jewish areas, but he's collecting taxes for Rome. So the Jewish people felt that anyone who was a Jew who was collecting tax for Rome was somehow a, a deep traitor to the Jewish people. And I think it's really hard for us to, to grasp this. Maybe for those of you who live in the UK, if you could imagine Americans taking over the UK, and some British people collecting tax for the Americans. Uh, maybe for those who are in America, if you could imagine ISIS taking over the US and some Americans collecting taxes for ISIS. If you're in India, maybe you could imagine Pakistan taking over India and some Indians collecting tax for the Pakistanis. Now, I don't want to create any problems by saying those words. I'm trying to show you, to some degree, some of the, the, the hatred that people would feel toward these uh, Jewish tax collectors, a sense of traitor, uh, betrayal of your own people. So they were not loved people. Jesus says to him, follow me. uh, And Levi got up and followed him at once. A couple of quick comments, and I want to move into the rest of the story. I'm amazed when I see how Jesus told Peter and Andrew and how he told James and John. And now he's telling Levi, follow me and these men left everything and followed him immediately there's something here in the power of the lord jesus christ there's something here in the attractiveness of him that someone like matthew could just leave his entire business his livelihood his 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 way of life his everything and and follow jesus levi did not sit down and think, let me think. I want to be uh, someone who writes one of the books of the Bible. I'd like to be somebody who travels around and tells the message of Jesus. I'd like to be someone who 2,000 years later, people are doing a Bible study on my life. Yes, so I will follow Jesus. He had no idea where Jesus was going to lead him, how this was going to turn out. But here we see again him taking that first step to follow Jesus. And it's a bold step. It's a risky step, a step that everyone needs to take if you want to know the Lord to just follow him. And he will lead you on a journey you never, ever expected like he's going to do for Matthew. Uh, the other thing it speaks of is for Levi. It's a new life. It's a brand new life, a whole new adventure for him. He's going to launch out and start something that he never, ever, ever could have dreamt would have happened in And yet, Jesus is going to change his life and transform him. So, very encouraging. If you don't know Jesus, if you feel that sense of risk, that sense of should I, throw it aside. Follow Jesus. He'll never let you down. He's going to change you. He's going to lead you on a journey that you would never, ever have expected. And it will be wonderful. He's going to use you in a mighty way. So, wonderful statement we see there. Let's continue on. Verse 15. It says... While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. What does Levi do? Well, he, he uh, throws a dinner party. He has a party for Jesus. And who is at Levi's dinner party? So I, I, I find this quite interesting. He doesn't really know how to respond to Jesus, but he responds in a, in a way that's normal for him. Have some food. Invite a lot of friends. And who comes to Levi's house? Well, we see a few people. We see Jesus. We see other tax collectors and sinners. And we see his disciples. So who would you expect to be at Levi's party? Would you expect good people? Would you expect people in the community who are of good reputation? Would you expect other religious people to be there? Not really. This is not his crowd. It's not who he associates with. And there's something I think interesting here about Levi. Let me ask you a question. If you threw a party, how many people would attend? Who would attend? What kind of people? There's something here about Levi that when Levi throws a party, everybody wants to be there. And more than that, Jesus is at Levi's party. And so there's, a, there's a, an attractiveness, not only to Jesus, but I would say to Levi. There, he seems to be one of these leaders. When he snaps his fingers, everyone follows. Everyone wants to go where, where Levi is. Uh, and so he's got a lot of people attending his, his party, hanging out with him. And this expression right here is quite interesting. It says, for there were many who followed him, many of these kinds of people. So, if you if you capture this here, this is not simply uh, saying that there were many people. The, the idea of mentioning sinners in this text, in tax collectors, is not that the Bible sees some people as bad and some people as good. Mm-mm. The Bible does not see some people as sinners and some people as righteous. No, it doesn't. It's using language that people used then. That is, as... Mark is writing this, he's reminding people that in this world, there are some people that we see as really bad, notorious, notoriously bad people. And it says that there were many people like this, who followed Jesus, that means there were many notorious sinners who followed Jesus. So to help you understand this, what sort of sounds are you hearing at this party? If you were to have been invited to Matthew's party to Levi's party, and you walk in the door, what kind of sounds do you hear? Do you hear Christian music? No. I hear laughter. I hear loud noise. I hear lots of commotion and talking. I would hear, I would imagine, some, some bad language from time to time. Uh, what do you smell? You might smell some good food being cooked. You might smell some uh, illegal substances being burned. We don't know. We don't know. Now, it's very important also that what you do not think is that Mark is presenting Jesus as a really evil person. Don't imagine that Jesus is half stoned, his eyes are squeezed shut, he's got his arm around some ladies, he's swearing. That's not what Mark is showing us about Jesus. It's not at all what he's showing us about Jesus. But what's beautiful here is that Jesus is at the party. Jesus is not afraid to associate with these people. The disciples are following along and watching. Now, if you can imagine the disciples, they are learning. They're learning a lot from Jesus, and this is really important. Have you ever heard of the term discipleship? Usually what we mean by discipleship is a class that's taken at church. It's six weeks, it's 12 weeks, you run through some Bible verses, and you get told about how to be a better Christian. This form of discipleship was these men spending time with Jesus, and they were watching How does he talk? How does he interact? He's not afraid to be with these sinners, with these bad people, the people with the bad reputation in the community. He's not afraid. He's not ashamed. He's not ashamed to touch them, to be around them, to be at their party, and to bring the good news to them. So these disciples are really learning a lot from Jesus' life. So I just want you to capture that, capture this scene, because now what happens is that we see in verse 16, When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Who are these Pharisees and who are these teachers of the law? Well, they are religious people. And actually, the word that's used here is the word for scribe and the word for Pharisee. Two different groups of people are here. The scribes, these are the people that are the the experts in the law. And you will see in the Gospels, sometimes it talks about scribes, Pharisees, elders, Sadducees, Sanhedrin, these are different groups of people. The scribes were the Bible scholars. They were the ones that understood that this Hebrew word means this, that the context that Moses spoke certain words in was this, and as they studied the Old Testament, they sat for hours and hours putting together the grammar, the uh, culture, the, the uh, context of the Old Testament to try to draw out teaching. So, so these guys knew their Bible, let's say, very, very well. I would imagine they knew their Old Testament much better than even than I do. Then you have the Pharisees. In this group, their name means separated ones. Their history comes about 150 to 200 years before Jesus came. They initially were a very good group of men who had a concern. And their concern was that Jewish people were getting too mixed with non-Jewish people. And that the traditions of Moses, the teachings of the Old Testament were becoming lost. And so their interest was to get the people to pull out, to pull away from, to separate themselves from the common world, from the people who were not Jewish, from the things that non-Jewish people did, and to separate from them. Now, the intent there may not be perfectly wrong, but what had happened was that over 150 years, by the time Jesus shows up, they have over 400 synagogues around the uh, Mediterranean area that they supervise. They have a number of people in schools that they keep teaching and training others to be Pharisees in, and they became much more like religious police. And so they show up at this event that Jesus Is at and they're watching. They are analyzing. The teachers of the law are probably coming to maybe listen if they can to what Jesus is saying and compare it to what the law of Moses said. So these people, if you think of what they're there for, they're there to critique, they're there to evaluate, they're there to condemn Jesus and these people and to stamp upon this group their disapproval. What is their question? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, I want you to notice something. What does the Bible say? Who did the Pharisees ask? Did they ask Jesus? No, they asked the disciples. So it tells us a couple of things. It could be that Jesus was inside the party and they would not go into the party. Why? Why would they not go into the party? Because in their mind, if they touch these dirty people, they will become dirty. Uh, It also means maybe that they're afraid to ask Jesus directly. Remember, Jesus has just humiliated them with a question that he asked in Mark chapter 2 when he healed the man who was lowered through the ceiling. So their question shows perhaps that they're afraid to go into the meeting, perhaps that they're afraid to ask Jesus Maybe they feel the disciples are a little bit easier target. I've had this oftentimes as being a Christian leader. There are people who are your cynics, and they many times will not come to you. Some people will, and they'll ask the questions, and it's always refreshing. But often people won't, and so they'll go to others within the organization, and they'll ask others within the organization, what do the leaders think about this? What does this person say about that? So it's, it's a common thing. They're not coming to Jesus. They're asking a question, but look at their question. What does it say? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So what is their question? I'm asking you, is it curious or is it condemning? Do they really want to know why? 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 Oh, we're curious. Why does Jesus ask? Why, Why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? We want to learn. We want to know more about Jesus, his ways, his method. What is he doing in there? We want to be his disciples too. Is that their curious question? No, I don't think so. It's a condemning question. Why? This kind of question, you could remove the question mark at the end of the sentence and put an exclamation point and say it in a statement. They are making a statement. It's a rhetorical question. Jesus should not be eating with tax collectors and sinners. If he claims to be religious, He should know these people are bad. He should not be touching them, being around them. He should disassociate with them. So their question is drawing a strong contradiction between Jesus and his ways, Jesus and his gospel, this new life that he's bringing, and the message that they carry and their ways of separating from people. Jesus is not interested in separating from people. Beautiful quality about Jesus. To finish it, it says this, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. What do you hear in this expression? Notice what Jesus is saying. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. All right, I'm gonna ask you a few questions. Are all people sinners? Does Jesus believe that some people are not sinners? No, he doesn't. Jesus believes that all people are sinners, but there are some people who do not feel that they have sinned. They do not feel that they've done anything wrong. In fact, when they look at other people, they're always comparing. They always look at someone else and they figure, well, that person is a really bad person, not like me. Those kind of people, if you ask them, have you done anything wrong? They usually will say, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 I've done some things wrong. But have you done things that are as evil as others? And their answer will be no. Because when they see sin, when they see wrong, when they see wrong in God's eyes, it's a comparison, a comparison between themselves and others. They don't compare themselves to God, to God's standard. God says everyone should be perfect and we're not. We know that. But some of us feel like we're better than other people. And so we call other people sinners. So Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, if you think that you're healthy, if you think that you don't need a doctor, then I'm not for you. If you do not think you're a sinner, then I am not for you. This is really interesting. It means Jesus is not going to argue with the Pharisees about whether they are sinners or not. If you do not believe you're a sinner, then you can be condemned in your own sin, and there's nothing I can do. That's what Jesus is saying. So yes, all people are sinners, but he's looking for those who are confessing, those who are needy, those who are broken in their heart, those who say, I need a solution to sin. I need a place to go to be forgiven. I need to have this sin taken off of my soul, off of my spirit, off of my shoulders. I need a place to go to get rid of my sin. Well, then Jesus is there for you. He's for that person, not for the one who wants to argue. He's not interested in arguing. He's looking for the one who's sick, who says, I'm a sick individual. I need help. If that's you, Jesus is for you. Now, I think I've already made those comments. What does this say about Jesus? I want to finish with two points this morning. What does Jesus say? What does this say about Jesus? Number one thing, it says that Jesus takes the good news to people. Jesus takes the good news to people. This is really important for a couple of reasons. I'm speaking now to those of us who believe in Jesus. There's nothing wrong with having church meetings and there's nothing wrong with inviting people to church meetings and there's nothing wrong with holding meetings at church that are relevant and helpful to people who don't come to church. But there are many people who will never come to your church. Maybe it's because of their background, religious background. Maybe it's because of their culture. They will never come to your church. It doesn't matter how much hip-hop music you play in your church, they'll never come. It doesn't matter how many marriage seminars we hold to help their marriage, they're never going to come. How many barbecues, they're never going to come. How much we pray that people come to the church, they're never going to come. This shows us that Jesus brings the good news to people. And if we are going to, as believers, help people to find a solution to sin and find the Savior, we have to take it to them. There are language barriers to be crossed. And without crossing those language barriers, people can't hear. There are cultural barriers that if we don't reach out and go to people and bring the good news across to their culture, love on them, bless them, share the wonderful message of Jesus, they're not going to hear. And here we see Jesus showing us a pattern that you and I can follow. Take the good news to people. Don't expect that they come to you, take it to them. Wonderful quality that Jesus has, wonderful uh, principle that he's showing. Second thing that we see is that you do not need to attend a religious meeting to find Jesus. Now I want to finish with this, and this is a thought for anyone of you who is not a believer in Jesus. This is for someone who is not, who doesn't know God. And you're thinking, I would never go into a church meeting. I would never go into any Christian meeting. It's okay. You do not need to go into Christian meetings, to church meetings, to Bible studies, to find Jesus. Jesus comes to you where you are. And this is very important. And I want to finish with this. You see, it means that going to Christian meetings, going to religious studies can really do nothing for you. One person once said, it's like going into McDonald's and eating hamburgers. By going to McDonald's, you will never become a hamburger. It won't change you into a hamburger. Going to Christian meetings doesn't change you, and so Jesus brings the good news to you. You don't need to go to meetings to find Jesus. He comes to you right where you are and wants to forgive you, make you clean, wash you of all your sins, and give you a new life. I hope this Bible study has been a help to you. We're going to continue on through the Gospel of Mark next Sunday, and so be blessed.